Welcome to the Secure the Bag podcast, where we talk to some of the most successful people from the fields of sport, entertainment, music and more, and discuss how they reached the top of their field and ultimately how they secured the bag. I'm Frankie Hobbs, and as always, I'm joined by the amazing, record-breaking, history-making, number one in the charts podcaster, Emily Hall. How are you? Hi, Frankie. Very well, thank you. We've got off to a good start, haven't we? We did, and it's time to carry on, so um, carry on we will. And uh, we've just finished chatting to Dr. Joshua. How did you find it, Em? Really insightful, actually, like a lot in there that I don't think a lot of us would ever consider. Um, a lot about like all or nothing diets and veganism, etc. Um, and in particular, I enjoyed his thoughts on doctors being on social media, making them more approachable in modern society. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed his thoughts on that a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, you know, he tackles a lot of the misinformation that out there at the moment on social around health and and food and and sort of all or nothing diets. You know, I I think. I myself personally get into some of my experiences dieting so if you are new please hit subscribe check out the rest of the shows on the channel um some really great stuff there but um for now here is our show with Dr Joshua Joshua welcome to the show how are you today uh, hello, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm all right. Um, I'm going to give you the same answer uh, that you asked me a couple <laughs> of minutes ago before we hit record, which was that I'm actually more tired than usual uh, after getting a puppy for the last four or five days, as uh, she knows what time in the morning to wake us up for food. So <laughs> there have been some early morning wake-ups. Now, now was, the, was the puppy decision, was that a quarantine induced decision or no, no, was no. it always the plan no this is a it was a a birthday present for my girlfriend she's always wanted a dog and uh i had it i had it uh, organized with her parents so they kept saying no uh, uh but secretly said yes to me so we had this plan for a while uh if anything lockdown has actually made things slightly more difficult because it was just uh, there was more logistics around uh, contacting the breeder and, you know, kind of actually getting the puppy and things like that. But uh, ended up working okay in the end. You know, speaking to someone like yourself is is super relevant at the moment. I guess from our perspective, we we see a lot on the news, um, mm. we read a lot in the in the press, and and we hear a lot of stories. But it'd be good to know, obviously, your working on the on on the front line what what what's going on in there you know is it as the media say do you just want to sum up how, how everything is at the moment uh well it's it's kind of uh calming down a little bit and building up in other ways at the same time so we're what are we now we're almost two months are we two or three I months think this since, is the eighth week yeah, yeah we're so, on eight weeks since working from home yeah so you kind of lose lose track of it don't you but uh two months of of since lockdown but it's been longer than that um at the hospital kind of getting things prepared and shutting down elective services and things like that so that we had space in the hospital um but uh, at the moment we're definitely seeing uh, a big increase in people coming back into A&E for for non-covid things uh which is good we want people to be coming in uh but at the same time we haven't quite uh, discharged enough people from from the COVID stuff yet to be managing comfortably anyway the rest of it so it's a bit of an interesting time uh, if if that kind of makes sense um, it's it's hard to describe without actually being there if you know what I mean no I, I yeah get that. and have you been doing is it additional hours or is it just like longer shifts like how have you been managing with with your colleagues yeah so I mean so I I work on the surgical side um and I've been fortunate enough yeah. to to stay on that side as well because a lot of people have ended up being uh, redeployed 
uh, either into A&E or into ITU where where we need more doctors. Um, and that has happened, but they still need people to kind of uh, keep a, a bit of a skeleton service going on the surgical side because I, I work in orthopedics and um, people are still falling and breaking their hips. Uh, even even with lockdown, that, that hasn't really changed. So uh, to be fair, it, it's it's a weird one because as much as things are quite different, it also just feels like work still. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, the really it's just the atmosphere that's different rather than, rather than the actual job. The job is still the same. I'm still, I'm still a doctor. I'm still looking after patients. We're still doing what we always have been doing just with, with a slightly different thing in the back of our heads as to could this be COVID as well, rather than never thinking about that in the past. Um, but it's the atmosphere of, of the patients when they come in. It's the, it's, it's the kind of the, the, the nervousness of people who are coming in for other things. It's some of the anxiety of, of the, the, the healthcare professionals as well. It's, it's just an interesting one from, from that side, I'd say. Yeah, and, and, and you say the, the atmosphere uh, obviously has changed massively. And I think uh, as much as it's obviously a, it's been a challenging time and, and, and not one that any of us wanted, mm. I guess um, one thing that I think is fair to say has really shone through is that the public appreciation for people like yourself and, and people on the front line has um, really been at the forefront. And, and without without obviously getting too political, it, it, it is great that, you know, people and it's a shame that it took this but it is Mm, great mm. that people are really appreciating those frontline nhs staff who aren't doing it for the money they are looking to you know heal our country basically yeah it's difficult to have those conversations without being political isn't it because unfortunately we uh, you know the the national health service is a national health service and as such it's it's run and managed by the government at the time um and yeah it is it is a shame that we're that it's kind of taken this to to really uh, feel that appreciation, I guess. I mean, uh, the the difficulty for us um, and where I'm at in my in my career is that we um, we all experience the the junior doctor contract uh, mm-hmm. kind of news cycle and and strikes and debates and arguments and all that stuff that was going on. I think 2017, maybe. 2016 Mm -hmm. and at the time there was a lot of a lot of negative press about how we all just want money we're all just doing it we're all just complaining we're all striking and none of us care about patients and it's it's some of it feels slightly uh, from the media anyway some of it feels slightly hypocritical to a lot of us that we're seeing the same newspapers that said all of that stuff now saying look how amazing our nhs is look how incredible they all are um so yeah it's i don't want to i don't want to grump but it but it is a, I, I really hope that this that this atmosphere and this change continues after all of this has has uh, has died down and we've moved on um because i do think it's it's given a new appreciation and a kind of a a reappreciation for this kind of stuff and hopefully when we when we talk about our our concerns about kind of privatization of the nhs and the fact that we're worried about losing it in the future um hopefully people will be slightly more receptive to listening and actually trusting us that we're not just doing this for you know for money or fame or whatever i think that's very true that people have been able to see it with their own eyes in many ways now that they've had a lot of close relatives or friends or family in this scenario so Mm. they're not going to be able to trust the media as much with what they're saying so you can only have fingers crossed that is something in the future will change much more drastically for the NHS. Yeah, would be nice. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, um, what role do you think um, the media's had in in the epidemic? Do you think it's positive, negative? 
Like, oh. where would you? <laughs> it's difficult. I think it. Well, it depends what media we're talking about. Um, I mean, I I do a lot of stuff on social media. I personally think that social media has been quite a quite a ray of uh, of sunlight in certain ways. I uh, agree because people are, are. I mean, you know, there were there were lots of comments about how. Uh, you know, your iPhone needs to stop telling you how many how many hours you've been on your phone back when lockdown started because people are just spending so much more time on the internet, so much more time on their phone. And so they're spending so much more time on social media and that's kind of where they're accessing the majority of their news. Um, I mean, I every so often on a, on a, I try daily, but it depends when, when there's something that's actually happened or a bit of news or a bit of update that needs to go on. I'll post some stuff and I'll often get people messaging and going, I, you know, I try and avoid everything else. I'm really grateful you, you're saying it in quite a, you know, a non, non-alarming way and things like that. So it's, I, I think social media has definitely uh, found uh, its place in regards to helping keep people informed about this kind of stuff. But on the flip side, there are, um, there are, there is a lot of misinformation floating around social media and it's made, it's made um, the conversations around what COVID was and what COVID is still, you know, all the kind of different treatments uh, that, that we've been testing and trying. It's made addressing some of that harder because social media has been a bit of a, a breeding ground for people sharing stuff that they, that they've wanted to be true and haven't really uh, haven't really looked into very much and so we end up having to to address a lot of it rather than just being able to to put out good stuff we're having to kind of address the bad stuff as well um but yeah i mean that's the social media side i think the the actual the actual papers it's been really interesting because i think it's changed a little bit i think at the beginning there was a lot of a, a lot of doom and gloom and obviously everyone wanted to know about covid and and hear about how things were going and wanting updates around the world but I think there's been a bit of a, a slight change that I've seen recently of trying to focus on some of the positive things that are still going on around the world, which has been quite nice to see, um, because there is there is still stuff going on that's that's not COVID related that is still that is still quite quite uplifting, quite heartwarming. So, uh, yeah. No, I look, I completely agree, and and I think um, you're right. There's 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 in moments like this there are those people that just do provide that that ray of light and there are you do see the great uh you know acts that people perform you know people like tom moore uh walking around his his garden and raising yeah, so sure. much money for, great, that. for charity it's people do seem to come together um which uh i guess is uh great to see mm. um but I know I saw I saw you uh, comment on the a lot of the conspiracy theories. So you mentioned it there, but like there's all you know people on social always sharing stuff about five G signals. Oh. Um, <laughs> God, like you know pe- people having to write uh, COVID nineteen on death certificates. But like how how do you deal? Does that does that information like really hurt what you guys are trying to do, or does it, or do you just not even take notice of it? Uh, it's difficult because I mean social media is a bit of a bubble, right? So. Uh, I, I tend to get sent a lot of stuff, not because people necessarily. Um, well, all right, let's let's put this in two ways. The extreme stuff I get sent, not because people actually, uh, my followers actually have believed it, but because they want me to address it so that people don't get convinced by it. Um, such as the five G causing coronavirus. Um, you know the 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 stuff around um, the fact that it it apparently is just man made and it's all just a big ploy to vaccinate people. You know that kind of stuff. I don't really have 
I don't really have many people yelling at me about it. I just have people sending it to me and going, please address this because this is ridiculous. Um, but there has been a bit more of the sinister stuff that is that is more frustrating. And that's the stuff that actually, I would say, kind of gets to me a little bit more. Um, and some of the some of the death certificate stuff, I'd say, is the case because a lot of it can sound quite believable um, mm-hmm. about how, you know, if, if people people hear that we're just writing covid on death certificates even though it, it you know it hasn't been proven we we all know that we or you know a couple of weeks ago and still now we we know that we haven't been testing enough so it seems plausible that there are lots of people that have died that haven't had tests and so therefore it doesn't feel like a conspiracy theory it feels like it could be true um mm-hmm. and so it's it's more difficult and more disheartening to try and address some of that kind of stuff um and it, it, you know, I the thing is, I this is the kind of stuff that I've been doing on social media for a long time anyway. So I, I feel like I'm slightly more, uh, I, I have a, a bit more of a heads up on on this stuff than than some other doctors on social media who are having to do the same um, because I've spent a couple of years now addressing misinformation, just not around not around coronavirus because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't anything I had to talk about. Um, no, so I, you know, I have I have te- my techniques and I have my I, I have a bit of a um, not a callousness, but I have a bit of um, re- reserve for this kind of stuff, so I, it doesn't really get to me too much. But there has been a there have been a few things that have been uh, particularly frustrating, and I think I think the death certificate one was was one of them. I'd say. No, I, I agree, and and you're talking there about social media, and obviously you're um, so you're, you're sort of used to it, and you're you're almost um, you know you're 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 probably best positioned to really bat away some of these um, conspiracy theories, I guess. On social media, your journey, like how did you even how did you even start? Um, you know, what made you start the the sort of your social media channel, and and what led you to kind of get to where you are today? Uh, how long do we have? Um, yeah, we've got as long as you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a relatively long long story. I'll try and I'll try and give you the short version. Um, so I uh, I grew up uh, as quite a, a fat teenager uh fat kid fat teenager went through Me school too. being blue being bullied for it kind of non-stop there was always you know bullies always find something don't they but but being fat was always a was always a a, a, a continuity throughout the rest of them either my hair was too short my hair was too long but being fat was every day um so for me that was always something that i felt was part of me it was always something that um filled quite a lot of my mind uh and I I dieted on and off. I'd done all sorts of things. Nothing had nothing had changed. And I got to university, graduated university as a doctor, and started working. And realised that I it was just this really odd situation for me where uh, I felt like I should be telling people to lose weight because that's what I'd been taught at university, and I, I'd been taught um, about this kind of uh, very clear cut, um, you know, non, non arguable link between weight and health. And therefore as a doctor, I should be talking to my patients about it. And I felt, uh, hypocritical at the time because I felt like, well, if I'm overweight, I can't talk to patients about this because they're not going to trust me. Um, you know, looking back on it, I, you know, in, in the language that I now understand, I would say that it was probably, um, my own internalized weight stigma that was making me feel that way in the sense of I'd always I'd always believed that um, that I couldn't talk about certain things because I was overweight or I always believed I couldn't be healthy because I was overweight or uh, you know I always believed that that people would think less of me because of that because it was just the stuff I grew up thinking and and I I'd, I'd, I'd internalized those feelings and it came out as a 
as me thinking this was this was my idea as that oh well you know if i'm going to be a better doctor the only you know this is limiting me i must lose weight now because i can't be a, i can't be a better doctor if i'm still fat um so it was, this is why i said at the beginning how long do you have because there's a lot of, there's a whole load of stuff there that that personally i think deserves a lot of delving and uh, and you know if people are listening to this uh, i would recommend you come and come and have a chat with me on my page and have a look back through some of my posts cuz this stuff takes time to unpack and really and really talk about but um i started a social media account at that point because that's what you do right that's uh that's what instagram is for it's <laughs> just people setting up weight loss accounts cuz I mean, let, let's be honest, that's 95% of them. Um, and so I, I'd never had Instagram before. I had Facebook, that was about it. And I thought, well, I'll set it up um, and I'll use it to document my weight loss journey and it will keep me accountable and all that kind of stuff. And uh, again, I was hoping for a bit of a bit of shame-related uh, abuse from my friends. I was like, if I post pictures of me eating quote-unquote unhealthy things, whatever that specifically meant, then my friends would tell me off and therefore I would... I would not eat them again. And again, I didn't understand the whole, you know, shame and guilt actually not being a good thing to be associated with food. But I, it was what I thought I should do. It's what most people think that, that, that they should do. Um, and along the way, I started getting really frustrated that I had throughout my life and also still at that point uh, was falling for all of these fad diets. I mean, I, I started by just pretty much cutting all carbs out of my diet um, for no for no reason other than I thought that that was what you were meant to do. Um, and <laughs> I've done that before. Yeah, I think I, I would say you know ask it ask ask someone if they've dieted. If they say yes, then I would say ask them if they've cut carbs, and I, I'd say ninety nine point nine percent have gone yes. That's what you meant to do. <laughs> I don't know why my you think this. To, but... Yeah, my housemate used to have a real thing with carbs and mm. she just wouldn't eat them. She would not eat pasta. Like that was like the devil. And then she would eat really good in the week. And at the weekend she would binge and she would eat a loaf of bread in one day. Like, well, this this is what we do. We, got, you know, <laughs> She got really fit and she ran the marathon. She looks back at it and she was like, I just was so crazy about food. Like it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. And she needed all those carbs for the marathon, didn't she, in the end? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's the thing. In the end, when she started training, she needed to eat to be able to train. But the car- the carbs thing is is huge, I know, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's such a it, it's such it's such a thing that sticks. And it, it's I mean, there has been one good thing about about the pandemic, if, if we're allowed to, to pick out good things, although obviously I'd rather there wasn't a pandemic. But one good thing is that people seem to have forgotten that they don't like pasta and carbs and flour and uh, <laughs> and rice because the supermarket's completely sold out of all of them. So, uh, so yeah, people are suddenly no longer gluten intolerant, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I got really frustrated about it. I was like, I was like, but I'm meant to be clever. I was like, I just, you know, I was up myself and I had a massive ego and I was like, but I'm a doctor. I should, why am I falling for this stuff? Um, and uh, my my page, instead of just me posting food every day, which is what it did because I like to cook and things, um, it became me addressing some of that stuff that I that I'd fallen for, and it, it what what I kind of um, I saw someone use the word nutribollocks, and I loved it so much, I uh, I kept using it myself. So uh, you know, I I just started addressing that stuff, and my page slowly but surely turned into not being about posting recipes anymore, but started being about addressing misinformation around food and nutrition um and then it kind of took another swing and took another turn as i realized well if i believed all of this stuff about nutrition that wasn't true uh, i'm now reading a lot of stuff about weight and health that 
I always assumed was clear cut and and there was no argument about. And I started delving into some of that kind of stuff as well. And I, I accosted people that knew what they were talking about and made them meet up with me for coffee and told them that they were wrong and they clearly didn't understand science and they told me I was wrong and gave me proof and I was like, oh, okay, shit. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it then it then became the furthest thing from a weight loss account that it could be. Um, and looking back on it, it's uh, it's very strange to think that my my social media account used to be called unfattening and I thought it was the 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 catchiest word in the world and. Uh, and now it just kind of makes me cringe, and uh, it's interesting to see it to see a journey. And I think actually, if anything, it's made what I do today more. Uh, I, I have more insight behind it. I have more ability to talk to people about this stuff because it's not like I feel like I'm high and mighty, and and you know I'm just trying to help people out. It's like, well, I fell for all this stuff. I believed all this crap. Uh, you're not stupid for believing it. I just want to. I just want to show you that this isn't. This just. This stuff isn't true, and it's so much freer and so much easier to just live your life because food is such a massive part of people's lives. If if we actually have some sort of you know calm about this stuff and and able to relax about this rather than always beating ourselves up. So I guess from say like a real outsider looking in. Mm. And and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening who will be like, right? What what are like the key like the, the when it comes down to it like what are the biggest mis- misconceptions when it comes to uh, you know food and weight and you know what are the real things that you think change that opinion for you and what do you think people really you wish or you hope that people would have a better understanding of? Uh, I. I always start with with socioeconomics because I think it's such a huge part of the conversation, both with both with weight and with nutrition, and it's something that we don't really like to talk about because the people that argue this stuff and the people that 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 are having these conversations are people who are very privileged from from both sides, from both health and and food. Um, and I think it was I think it was things like realizing that I and I'm trying to remember the statistic now but it's I think it might even be 40% of people in the UK don't own a fridge um and so it's wow. it's stuff it's stuff like that 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 just kind of blew my mind when I came across it I was like surely that's not true I was like because because if that if that is true then all this stuff that we tell patients about well you just need to eat more fruit and veg like why don't you why don't you cook fresh like why don't you go to the supermarket and buy fresh food you know, well, if they don't have a fridge and that food goes off quicker, then of course they're not going to buy it because they're going to be wasting their money and, and they don't have the money to waste because they're already working two jobs and they're already commuting to and from this job and they've already, they're already a single mum and they've got three kids at home. Like it's, it's all of that kind of stuff that, that puts this into perspective for me. And mm-hmm. um, it, it just, it, it makes me cringe when I hear some of these things about you know, oh, well, it's just willpower. You just need to make time for it. You know, everyone has time to cook. If you have time to watch TV, then you have time to cook. And it's like, it's not just about that. There's so many more elements, you know, for you posting that on Instagram, you know, if, if, you know, if you're a fitness page posting comments like that, of course you, you do have time to cook. You have time to run an Instagram page. So of course you have time to cook as well. Um, But the people you're talking to, the people that actually need the most help when it comes to their health and the people that actually eat the least veg aren't going to be able to implement any of the stuff you're talking about. 
So all the mm-hmm. stuff you're saying is just going to make the healthy healthier. And it's just going it, to, it's, it's like that whole thing of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's, it fits with, it, it works in the same way with health and nutrition as well. And when you add weight to the mix, we know, we know that there's a huge correlation between socioeconomics and body size. And we know that people of a lower socioeconomic class are far more likely to be heavier. Um, and there are, there are numerous reasons for that. There are things like food deserts. There are things like the food environment that people grow up around. There's things like, you know, having two jobs and therefore not, not having the time to, to exercise regularly. Um, you know, not having, not having the money to go to the gym, even if they wanted to, there's all sorts of, and that's just the basic stuff. There's all sorts of things there that mean there are similar conversations when people talk about weight loss as well. And there are similar things that make me cringe and just go, you just don't understand some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me cringe to think that I said exactly the same stuff in the past. I thought I knew all of it. I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm losing weight and it seems to be staying off this time. And therefore I must teach everyone. Like I've finally found the magic solution. <laughs> I found the solution. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've found it. And that's the problem. It's like, you know, people aren't doing it to, to, to be, to be a twat, but, but they're doing it because they think that they, that they mean well, and they think that they're helping, but they don't realize that they're just, they're making stuff worse. And mm-hmm. then you add on top of that, the fact that weight and health aren't actually as intrinsically linked as people think. And, and our, and our actual behaviors are far more important than, than our weight on the scale when it comes to how long we live and, and our comorbidities. And then Finally, we have societal's impression of what we should look like, um, which changes decade to decade. Um, specifically, when it comes to women's bodies, there are there's so much pressure, both both media and what just just in general media, TV, um, people's attitudes around weight, and it's a reason why I, I talk a lot about weight stigma and discrimination of people in larger sizes on my on my Instagram page as well, because the whole thing is just it's just linked if you if we didn't discriminate against people of a larger size because we actually truly understood what happens and how and how complicated um our weight actually is then we probably wouldn't be spreading all this misinformation because we wouldn't be looking for the magical cure to 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 solve weight loss because we wouldn't we wouldn't be trying to solve weight loss we'd be trying to change the environment that people grow up in and try and make inequality less of a problem uh, and it would just it, it it comes full circle. So I'm rambling now, but yeah, I mean those <laughs> those are the things that I think uh, those are the main things that I think I, I've learned along the way, and I and I wish people had more insight into because uh, it it definitely changes it changes your opinion on stuff, and it, it you know you need a bit of compassion to 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 be willing to accept some of it frustratingly. Um, but I, I think once you do it, it leads you down a bit of a rabbit hole. But it's it's a very good one. Um, in ter- like, how long have you been on social media and what do you think the discourse changes around food and exercise? Because I think even in the last two years, I've seen a massive change in how people talk about it. Like accounts like uh, Lucy Mountain coming up and having a completely different point of view um, on the health and food topics out there. So like, what, what do you think of how that has changed? Yeah, I mean, so I, I was gonna say I grew up with but it doesn't really my my social media grew up with these kind of people as well. So I mean, I, I, I've known Lucy for a couple of years. And uh, it's I think there's been a lot of movement towards uh, starting to slowly understand some of this stuff and, and moving away from 
just running these these very uh, to put it bluntly these very weight centric fat phobic fitness accounts where just everything is about weight loss and instagram was and still is full of them but i i do think that things are changing slightly i mean i started my account um in my second year after graduating as a doctor so that would have been 2005 oh was it two no it can't have been back then Maybe it was. Maybe it was 2015, 2016. So that was quite a while ago. It's always longer than you think. I know. That's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) I graduated in 2014. Um, So yeah, it must have been 2015. Goodness. Um, So yeah, I started back then. So that's, it's been about five years then. Um, And I've definitely seen a massive change. And I think that change was what, what helped me um, kind of come across people talking about this stuff. I think if you'd have taken this a decade ago, you, 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 these conversations just didn't really exist. Or if they did, they were they were in very very small niches. Um, and so I think that's that's been a really really good thing. And I think the the community around uh, the the community that social media actually can be. I mean, there are so many people that that I know or have talked to that. That, that do similar things or used to do similar things and maybe I've moved slightly differently in the other direction but I still keep in contact with a lot of them because I think you know again as I said earlier I don't think people people aren't uh, saying the stuff that they are to to cause harm uh, you know they're meaning very well when they do uh, but um, it's yeah I'd, I've got lost now but um, but it, yeah it's been it, there's definitely been a change you were that was all you asked right yeah, yeah. no no for sure no I know I know that even since using tumblr when I was a teenager oh, gosh, yeah. to instagram now it feels like a completely different wave um, yeah it's just the conversations are different talking about it mm. yeah completely and actually, I think there's a lot more positivity coming from Instagram, like helping people with like either eating disorders or unhealthy relationships with food. I actually think there's a lot of positive mm. stuff out there on the internet now. Far more, far, far more than there used to be, which yeah. is which is mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, I think like for me, I'm uh, obviously quite larger, and I, like I do find like some of these fitness accounts they're quite intimidating. Um, like I don't know like the whole like this is how you do a workout you're at the gym and they're like doing a hundred sit-ups a hundred press-ups like I could never do that like what where do I even start I I, fortunately I kind of I actually started my my exercise stuff I think relatively relatively well um back in 2015 flipping years ago um but uh I I came across some people who were quite good in regards to uh, not just showing themselves to 100 sit-ups because I know what you mean. There are an awful lot of accounts who are like, look how amazing I am. Look how many, look how many reps I can do. Look at this massive weight that I can lift. And it <laughs> and it feels really daunting because I, you know, I was a 20, 25 year old going, I've never been to the gym in my life. I've never lifted a weight really. You know, I did far more music and drama at school than I did Ditto. than I did sports. And so, you know, I I had some lower body strength from cycling, but that was literally it. Um, and you know, I could barely, I could barely lift anything above my head. I mean, my, my girlfriend could lift more above her head than I could when I met her cause she was a gymnast. So I was like, ah, this is not allowed <laughs> I need to sort this out. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I went and I, I kind of just ignored most people. I was like, I, I want to enjoy the gym, 
going and, and lifting weights for me was a nice, uh, it was a nice release from a lot of stuff. Um, it felt that that whole kind of stereotypical thing of the gym is my therapy. Like it, it actually can be for a lot of people and it can be quite, quite therapeutic to go put your headphones on, be there an hour, but it only works if you ignore everyone else. And that's the thing, because you, you can go and you can compare with everyone. You, you end up going and looking at somebody else and going, oh, well, I could never lift as heavy as he is. And, and that's just not the point. Like your, your health is your health. It's got nothing to do with anyone else. And you don't, you don't have to do a million reps. You don't have to be able to bet. I can still not bench press that much like it, you know, but I, but I don't care because that's not the point. Like I'm not, I can bench press far more than I used to be able to. And so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's progress for me. At least you're doing it. Like you're, you're not not doing it. Like well, I'm not doing it right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. <laughs> but but I'm only doing. But again, not you know, it, a bench press doesn't have to be what you ha- what what everyone has to do to be healthy. I mean, I I am a big proponent of lifting weights in general because I do think that um, that we've got a good amount of evidence that muscle mass is incredibly important for people's health as they age, but it doesn't, you don't need to look like a bodybuilder to be healthy. Um, you don't ha- you know, the amount of muscle mass you need is really not that much. And you can get some of that stuff without going to the gym. Cause I know that some people just don't like it and it's better to do exercise that you enjoy than exercise. You don't because one of them is going to continue and one of them isn't. If you end up just doing, you know, stupidly tiring hit classes at home, that end up hurting your knees and stuff because you've never really done that stuff before, um, you're not going to continue that for very long. You're going to stop after a month. Whereas if you end up if you end I up doing something, it. yeah, exactly. Like flipping, no I one likes it. that. It's, it's like spin so classes. Intense. I would mean, <laughs> oh, never go. <laughs> but you're not going to. You're not going to continue. Girls in the office go to like Barry's boot camp. Yeah. And I've seen trailers of that. I'd be like, no chance. You can. It's just so intimidating. That. I don't get oh, that. It just looks oh. awful. See, it's so so. For I'm enjoying a, just a walk around the park now. Like, <laughs> so so for me now, I, I actually think that's kind of intriguing for me now. But if you'd have taken me two, three years ago, I'd have been like, that's horrific. I would never want to see that ever. So it's interesting how our we, we kind of, what we think is interesting changes as well and that's that's a, a really good sign that actually we should be finding things that we like the sound of we, we should be finding things that are interesting for us because we can't we can't form habits if we don't like it right so like mm-hmm. like like flipping juicing like no one likes juicing I mean, we're, you know, people like to eat food. You're right, you're right. No one likes to drink juice day in, day out. What the, like, what the hell's that? <laughs> like, no one, people do it to quote unquote detox, which isn't a thing. And people do it to lose weight, which is pointless because it's not sustainable. Like, what, who is going to juice for the rest of their life? If you like drinking juice in the morning, that's fine. But it's not a meal replacement. So, it, you know, all this kind of stuff, all these healthy habits that we think we're including... If we don't enjoy them, they're utterly pointless. Like if you don't eat, if you don't like kale, don't eat kale. Find a vegetable that you really enjoy. Put sweet corn in your diet. You know, mm-hmm. for, ignore the people that are all oh, sweet corn's high in sugar. Don't, it's it's a vegetable. Put feet, put sweet corn in your diet. I love sweet corn. You know, like it, it's the same with exercise. Like find something you enjoy. Find something that actually interests you, and screw everyone else. Like you don't have to do the same. It, it, everybody's different. Everybody's body's built differently. We're all going to be, you know, my, my, my partner's a physio and she told me a while back that we ideally are the, the muscle mass we have in our legs. We should be able to squat our body weight if we're going to run safely. And most people can't do that. Like, it, but, but people think running is the first thing that they should do if they want to get healthy. 
And so mm-hmm. it just it just goes to show there are you know running can be great for some people, but at the same time, everybody's going to find something different that is going to be best for them health wise, suitable for them body shape, body size wise, and something that's actually going to last. And it's much better to pick that. Yeah, uh, I think the the stuff about it's it's going to last and be sustainable is just it's so true, especially for like in my experience, like having been someone that has lost weight put weight on lost more put even more on um i think it's you just i feel for me the biggest the biggest barrier i face is or and i'm sure many people feel the same is you you feel like you're you you switch in and out of like modes you're like well no i'm losing weight now so this is the mode i'm in Mm. and then as soon as you have like one bad day you're like oh well i'm out of that mode now i'll get back to it monday whereas it's really a it's 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 all life isn't it you're yeah I'm so all or nothing yeah. I'm like uh, uh, M would probably back, back you up but I'm yeah. an incredibly impatient person I, it, it has to be I'm quite intense as you can probably tell <laughs> uh, um, but it, it has to he be went, all or he nothing went from, yeah he went from like the biggest meat eater to I'm vegan I'm vegan I was like okay let's see let's see how this goes and you've been vegan for two years like, been vegan for two years just switch one day I, I can't believe it so. well that's pretty sustainable uh, yeah. that's quite good yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it doesn't, being vegan does not, as I'm sure you know, does not mean you're healthy. No. Well, you well, lost is... a lot of weight at the beginning, didn't you? And then I feel well, yeah, like that's a, the lot thing. Of, a lot of places started doing vegan takeaways. And actually, now there's so many like replacements out there that vegan isn't, it's not a healthy diet. Uh, but, and the thing is, you, you, you go into it with the, with the, with the right um, mindset, right? Like, I want to eat more fruit and vegetables. I don't think I should eat animals. But then... Once again, I like if if they're not the things I wanted to eat, then it's just not going to last. Whereas, it just needs to be yeah. a balance. Mm. And like you know, do you I, remember that I've... mac and cheese, Josh? I don't know. Are you vegan, Josh? No, 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 no. I love my meat. No. So, I like my veg no, too. Yeah, but... I love my meat as well. And I made him. I was making jacket potatoes, and he, what was it? <laughs> and like a mac and cheese pot from M and S, and they yeah. make it with like I think it's coconut. <laughs> oil or something and he was like oh can you just heat it up for me and I it it was about a year ago and I still remember it I was gagging over it the smell and like the texture of the whole thing I was just like this just is not nice like my baked beans are so much better right now (laughs) um yeah it's a tricky one because you you go into it and you think all right I'm vegan now because and I'm going to be super healthy and most people are at the start like they they you know, they, they think, because the principles of veganism are, you know, or at least the vegan diet at the start is that you eat a lot more nuts and grains, you eat a lot more fruit and veg, you cut out a lot of stuff, you're eating, you know, carbs a lot of the time. But as you start to learn more about, like, as you get ingrained in the community, like the vegan community is, oh, did you know Oreos are vegan? Did you know all these crisps are vegan? Did you know, like, all this chocolate's vegan galaxy release of chocolate there's easter egg chocolates like at the end of the day like if you don't make the fundamental change to how you eat then you're never gonna no matter if you're vegan celiac uh a clown like it, it, you just have to make do, a fundamental change have which I've, particular diets is that it <laughs> i have no idea i just I, I guess it's just like how do you like i don't know how no one has the answer to how you make that change i guess well because well i mean in my mind it depends what the purpose of the change is and, you know, a, a lot of the times I see people do all or nothing because because of the fact that the only changes that they're making are, are to do with weight loss. So they're only changing their diet. They're only changing their behavior for one sole reason. And that's because they want to be skinnier. And 
because weight loss itself is so uh, is so complex and our weight is controlled by so many different factors that when we change one of them it's it's not going to be sustainable because there are so many other things that are playing a role as well and so people get disheartened because the the weight loss doesn't stay off and so they stop doing that thing that they were doing in the first place and so it becomes this all or nothing again and uh, mm-hmm. people, you know, I always give the same answer to people whenever they ask. They're like, well, what should I do? I'm like, well, how about let's just forget weight loss for a second because it's not helpful. It's not helping anyone actually make sensible decisions because it's all about how quickly can I do it? And, you know, what what's the what's the best way I can do it where I don't feel well, I'm not hungry and where I can still eat the stuff I like. And how can I still have chocolate and all this stuff that all these preconceived ideas? And I'm like, well... You, okay, well, what don't you do already that would actually make you healthier? Forget forget the weight. Do you eat enough veg? No. Can you eat enough? Can you eat more veg? You know, are you privileged enough to eat veg? To go back to what I said at the beginning. Yes. Okay. Well, let's just eat more veg. Forget the weight. Let let's include more veg in your diet because that will make you healthier, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, do you do you actually do any exercise? No. Well, why don't we start walking a bit? Like, why don't we start? you know, thinking about doing some yoga and, you know, there's loads of stuff on YouTube, like in, in, you know, in the lounge and stuff like that, where like, yeah, but, but that won't lose weight. I'm like, I don't care. Like, it's not, it's not about weight. It's about getting you healthier. And when you start including healthier habits, if your weight changes, so what? Great. Good for you. If it doesn't, you've still included something in your, in your life that is making you healthier, full stop. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a lot less all or nothing when you're including something for health reasons when if you're able to separate that weight loss from it. Because otherwise, the weight loss goal makes everything you're doing incredibly problematic because it's something in the back of your head every single time. It's like, oh, well, I love animals, but at the same time, I'm really happy this is making me lose weight. And then it's, it, it, it doesn't, it's not about the animals anymore. It's then about, it's then about the weight loss. And if it doesn't, if it's not making you lose weight, it's like, oh, why did I do that? And, you know, I, I'm, you've, you've still done it for two years. And I think it, the first thing you said was because about, about animals and suffering and stuff like that. And, you know, that's probably why you've, you're still vegan rather than a lot of people mm-hmm. going vegan because they like the sound of the animal stuff. But at the same time, they've heard it's a great way to lose weight. And, and it doesn't last because the weight loss doesn't last. Mm-hmm. And there's so many fad diets and, Things I read a stat and it it was almost forty percent of people are actively trying to lose weight right now. Yeah. What like does that stat concern you? Oh yeah, massively. I mean, you know, it it feeds into all of this stuff. It feeds into all of the nonsense. It feeds into all of the misconceptions around health. And you know, the the fact that not everyone that's trying to lose weight is going to develop an eating disorder, but everybody who has an eating disorder has tried to lose weight at some point in the past so it's 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 one way but not the other if that makes sense um mm-hmm. so there is there's a there's a common theme there and there are some really dangerous practices that that people pick up some dangerous habits that people pick up and it completely ruins their relationship with food it completely blunts their ability to know when they're hungry to know when they're full you know, because they're they're constantly confusing matters by being on one diet or another and it's not, you know, if, if we're trying to think about things that make people healthy, the act of dieting doesn't make people healthy. It's just not, it's just not the case. Um, you know, the act of eating more veg does, but that's not what people are doing. Because if they eat 
you know if, if they're still gaining weight then they're doing something wrong in their in their mind and it yeah it, it massively concerns me and i think the fact that we are that, that some of these conversations are changing on social media is a sign that i think people are becoming slightly more aware to it that that this this stuff isn't working um and we need to start changing how we think about it and how we talk about it because it's not making people happy it's not making people healthy um and you know to 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 kind of wrap all that up in a nice little bow we know that that constant cyclical dieting actually causes people to gain weight so it's completely counterintuitive anyway um so yeah it needs to yeah we need more people talking about it i'd say we we need to basically be rather than 40 percent of people trying to lose weight people just need to be trying to make their lives more healthy right yeah and as soon as we start as soon as we start believing that health and weight aren't quite as intrinsically linked as as we thought then it's much easier to start focusing on the health stuff because if we focus on something healthy and we don't lose weight we think oh well we we can't be doing it right we we can't we i must not be healthy uh, even mm-hmm. though it's it's just simply not the case and so yeah I, I, we i think that's probably step number one um and then step number two is start getting all this let, let's start being healthier as a society but that's only going to happen if we start addressing the inequality stuff to bring it full circle. Sure. And there, like you said, with the change of conversation online, there is definitely a lot more accounts popping up talking about this. And in particular, when I look at your account, like you're very engaged, you get lots of comments. Like what's your relationship with your audience? Like, do you, are you speaking to a lot of people in DM comments? Like, are you giving advice out? Do people come to you? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, at the beginning, I I kind of was I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna reply to every single person that messages me. I was like, oh, that'll be great. Yeah. I had to stop that because um, <laughs> it became incredibly stressful. Um, but um, it's I talk to a lot of people, but I I do it in a way uh, I see it as a bit of insight for me. So the insight that I've gained from talking to people online um, has given me far more ability to actually be a better doctor than than some of the conversations I've had with people in the hospital because people you know patients come into the hospital with with a certain well, there's a certain attitude when people come in people are either coming in because they're unwell or they're concerned or they think they're unwell and so there's a hierarchical nature there of of doctor being above patient even though we try our hardest to have a level playing field and a level relationship it's 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 literally impossible for it ever to be perfectly level because we are we're in charge of their health and we're in charge of their care. Um, whereas online, no one gives a crap. Like people will yell at me. People will tell me I'm wrong. People aren't afraid to tell me I'm wrong because they think it's going to affect their their healthcare. Do you know what I mean? So it's it, it gives me it gives me this this really interesting insight of actually knowing what people think and the, the conversations I've had around people's experiences in hospital and people's experiences with their doctor around around their weight and around their health. It, it's it, it means that I want to keep having these conversations with people, even though it takes a lot of time out of my day, because actually I think it makes me not, not only a better doctor, but it makes me a better person as well, because it's, it's, it opens me up to, to talking to people from different walks of life that I would never have come across before. Um, yeah. It helps me learn about this stuff. It, it, it makes this stuff more real rather than just reading about it. If I'm actually talking to someone who's lived it Um and uh, yeah, yeah, again, forgotten the conversation you asked, but um, but yeah, I, I I talk to a lot of people <laughs> so about because I think with it your helps followers. me. Yeah, yeah, and and For again, sure. I I think well, it means that and because I'm honest with them and because I I talk about this stuff a lot, I I think the engagement itself on my page is quite high because of that. 
because of the fact that mm. people feel feel safe and feel like they're able to be honest with me because I don't I'm not the majority you know the majority of the time I'm not super defensive like I'm happy to I'm not happy but I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong or I've been wrong about something I'd rather not be but that's <laughs> life isn't it so um I think people are people are happy to challenge me about stuff um and it leads to people being more open and, and actually talking and it's also that just the nature of the conversations I'm having I'm not you know I'm not a I'm not a model account posting well taking photos do you know what I mean where people just comment love hearts or you know like great pick or whatever you know those kind of accounts get like these this is these are real conversations yeah. that are taking place and I guess that kind of leads on to another question around how does it work being a doctor and also an Instagrammer because they're very mm. different worlds and where does that lead you in terms of like your time allocated like do people in the hospital comment hospital comment on it like is there anything around confidentiality it seems like two very diverse jobs like yeah. how do you balance those well so I mean I, th- I think they are they, they feel quite diverse if you think of the stereotypical role of what a doctor is but I think actually it's I, I don't see them as being that dissimilar and I think it's because of the conversations that I'm having but because I've spent a lot of my time on online being an advocate for my patients and I spend my time in hospital being an advocate for my patients so I'm you know it, the, the, the members of the public are or could be my patients so I don't see a huge uh, difference between those things it just it just enables me to have a global reach and, and conversations with far more people than I could do if I was just in the hospital um, I mean if we People often ask, like, how do I find the time and things like that? I mean, wh- when you're walking, you know, let, let's say you have an office, an office job and you're walking from your desk to the toilet, you're, you're playing on your phone, right? Like, you get your phone out of your pocket as soon as you stand up. Like, I, I, I do the same. Like, if I'm walking between a ward, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing patient notes in the corridor because you, you don't do that. So I'm, I'm playing on my phone. And I'm, I'm using those, that, that downtime to to do this and it's it's what I enjoy doing I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy doing it because it takes up a lot of my time but things don't feel like a burden when you enjoy doing them um and yeah so I just it just fits it, it, it works well for me um there are some complications uh there are some difficulties yeah. uh you know there are things that I have to be particularly careful about um there are there are things that I can't say and it's not necessarily from a confidential perspective but it's purely from uh, a uh, like a responsibility thing of being a doctor Um, and so there are certain there are certain elements of professionalism that I have to keep um, no matter what role I'm playing whether that's actually in the hospital or out of um and so you know for example i can't be posting pictures or stories of me getting completely smashed and drunk off my face on a night out um not because members of the public don't think that doctors get drunk but it's more that it's a uh, my my regulator would tell me off for example um because i have a certain i have a responsibility uh, the duties of a doctor as they're all written down and some of it is is part of that it also means there are certain uk doctors that i can't or i struggle to to accurately address when they're talking nonsense um because i could get in trouble for not being professional in quotes because i'm 
I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, let's say, attacking them online, which you know could be seen as a bad thing. And it's so it gets very complicated that I can't actually quite be as fully honest as I would want to be about certain things. I can about the American doctors, so that's fine. Uh, but, <laughs> but the English, and it's difficult because I feel it, part of me feels like that. I, I assume you've got you know, a lot to say about them. Well, about the American ones. Yeah, I've got a lot to say about all of them, to be completely fair. But I just, but I end up having to talk about the American ones more, just because it's. I, I feel slightly, um, uh, you know, hobbled <laughs> in a way, and it, it's frustrating. I wouldn't necessarily change it because the only way of changing it would be not to be a doctor. But it means that I have to find ways of getting around that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how things change. I mean, our. Our, our guidance on social media hasn't been updated since 2016, maybe even earlier. That um, just seems that seems like an oversight. Yeah, which is silly because you know we think about what it was like back then. It, you know, there, there's lots and lots of stuff that just isn't covered because stuff, you know, social media has changed massively in four years, and so our our regulator, I'm sure, will update stuff at some point. But it means that there's a lot of conversations around you shouldn't be doing that and then going, well, I, there's nothing that says that I can't. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I have to be morally happy with the choices that I make. Um, but there are some basic things that, that stay constant. I mean, yeah, patient confidentiality is is paramount. And obviously that's that's something that's always in the forefront of my mind, but it's not something that tends to come up very much because fortunately I don't talk hugely about orthopedics um on my on my account so yeah the, it, if people online aren't my patients so when i talk to people and they they tell me their stories and they they are you know i ask them if they're happy for me to share it anonymously and things like that that's you know th- that doesn't fall under that realm quite as clearly so it's i there are some difficulties but actually it, overall it seems to be okay as long as people don't We're- start you know, telling me they're going to report me because I called out their their keto supplementation that they claimed could cause coronavirus <laughs> and shit like that, which was which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the guidelines you mentioned, obviously mm. they haven't been updated since 2016. For me, just thinking about it, you know, off the top of my head, it it feels like a real wasted opportunity. That, you know, that there's I don't know I don't know exactly how many doctors or how many people similar to yourself there are in the NHS at the moment, mm. but even if you can turn five to ten percent of them as almost external like ambassadors and and people that do that can help on social media i know Mm. it's not in their job and they're already you know very underpaid and and super busy but it does feel like it's uh you know you're you're clearly helping people a lot and if we could it's just so it doesn't feel like we've quite tapped into healthcare on social yet Oh, no, I think I, I personally think we need a lot more doctors using social media. And I think a lot of it, I mean, I've just I've just looked up. It's actually 2013, not 16. So even more ridiculous. Wow. Um, but um, was but, Instagram a thing? <laughs> I don't, I don't think it, it. I don't really know. Um, it doesn't mention it. It says this. The, the, the main the main title is this guidance tells you the benefits and risks to consider when using social media platforms such as Twitter, WhatsApp, Facebook, YouTube for patient care or discussing patients and their care. It doesn't even mention Instagram. They so probably not. No idea. <laughs> What TikTok was going to hit? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's just yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, we need more doctors on, but people are people are people are scared, um, and doctors are rightfully so. They're they're concerned because our regulator and you know ninety nine percent of doctors, if they end up listening to this, would agree with me. Doesn't have doctors' interests at heart. It has patients' interests at heart. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean that things get swung and they are a law unto themselves, and so you end up with stories of people getting struck off for 
the most ridiculous things because th- there's just no real insight as to the lives that doctors lead and who doctors are and the fact they're real people and 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 it's more complex than that and I can't really necessarily go into it but it but we, there's there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of fear of well if I go on social media something might happen and I might get it wrong and I might I might get struck off and and the difficulty is is that that fear and it becomes more of a reality when you have less people online if you had a large large cohort of doctors actually using using social media to interact with with members of the public to gain insight into into how to be better doctors i think that we'd have a lot less issue with that because they can't they can't strike all of us off do you know what i mean um you know the more people that are there the less that they that they can try and make an example of certain people because they don't like what they're doing not necessarily just because something's actually being done wrong um and see, so, yeah, I, I, I tell medical students whenever I meet them, get online, get on social media, be sensible, don't be an idiot, don't post videos of you going out getting drunk, but just post health stuff, like talk about stuff and, and interact with members of the public. Like people want their doctors, it seems to be anyway, people want their doctors to be online, people want their doctors to be on social media, they want their doctors to be real humans and not just this you know, magical figure of like, oh, that's the doctor that I go to and he wears a cloak and, you know, they're at the like, well, they could be my neighbor. Like they are real people. They use social media. I can relate to them. And, you know, a relatable doctor is someone you're going to get much better care from. It's just, just, just a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where does that leave you in terms of brand collaborations and the clients you work with, etc. on your Instagram <clears throat> page? Are you very picky about them? Is is it like some content you want to put out yeah it's it's difficult um it is uh, i mean any page that has over a certain number of followers will end up just getting random emails on a regular basis from different brands and uh asking them to to publicize all sorts of things from from laxative teas to uh to cbd oil drops and most of it is complete nonsense um and I think there's definitely more of a responsibility to make sure that as doctors, we're not just posting crap um, and and promoting rubbish. Um, The only official guidance is uh, essentially that we need to be transparent about what we're talking about, any companies and brands that we work with, um, and that clearly we shouldn't be promoting uh, drug companies. Um, and that's pretty much all the guidance that exists. And that's, that's one of the problems, um, is that people have their own opinion about what doctors should and shouldn't be doing. Um, in my opinion, I think if we're, you know, if you're, if you're running a platform and you're spending a lot of time outside your normal, normal eight till eight, cause it's not really a nine till five, um, then if you can earn a little bit of money from doing decent brand collaborations because that's the way that advertising is nowadays i don't think that should be an issue as long as you're being as long as you're being integrous and as long as you're being clear about what you're doing um the issue is that even when people do try and be as transparent as possible you end up with hit pieces being written on the daily mail so um uh, as you may have come across uh so it, it it makes people more fearful even more so uh, because there's still an air of well, doctors should just be doctors, and they shouldn't be on social media, and and they should just work in the hospital. And it, that's not the opinion that the public necessarily have, but it's the opinion that people writing articles and and the older generation have. Uh, and there's there's still a bit of dinosauring going on, unfortunately. 
Um, again, that probably wasn't the question you asked, but was that was that kind of halfway there? No, definitely. <laughs> no, it was, and and I think you I think you mentioned the Daily Mail article there. Mm. Um, I did read it before. I, I read it today, this morning. I was wonderful. Um, familiar, <laughs> familiar, familiarizing myself with it. I guess what like, and you don't have to go into it. But yeah, what yeah. was your response to that? I just, I, I think it was interesting. I mean, I, at the time, I'd probably worked with like maybe four brands over the case mm-hmm. of four years. Um, and uh, and I ended up being the main face of this entire article about how about how doctors about your, the red doctors are making millions. The one, right? Yeah, I mean that was an interesting one in general. I think it was probably a, a it was a poor choice of wording that I that I made. I mean every every you know life is a learning opportunity, right? Um, and there was definitely a bit of a learning experience about uh, the way that I did that one. I think if I'd have done it in a slightly different way. Uh, there wouldn't have been uh, as much of a backlash. Um, but at the same time, I think meat in general is always going to be a little bit of dodgy territory, uh, especially online. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I could delve into that, but I think most people would understand <laughs> what I'm saying about that one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've, I just found it very interesting the way that it was written because it was written very much... Um, I mean, there's a small bit in it going, everything they're doing is following their, their regulator's guidelines. But some people say, and then and then the whole rest of the article was just like, oh, he just he posts selfies and he skateboards to work and he's handsome. And I was like, well, thank you for the last one, but I don't really understand what the selfies and the skateboarding's got to do with it. And it, it was just this very strange, it was a very strange attitude, I think. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Daily Mail hate to see people doing well. I think that's, <laughs> well, I mean, re- re- their opinion on doctors in general, I don't think, has been particularly even even now is still is still particularly dodgy. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's I, I I won't get political in that one. But um, but yeah, the Daily Mail is not is one of the least trustworthy newspapers in the UK. Um, I, look, I don't think facts. you've made it until you've got the <laughs> until you've got the Daily Mail hating you. I, don't, yeah. I think that's a good sign that you've made it. I mean, it wasn't helpful. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd rather that wasn't the case. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a huge amount to say for that. To be fair, I think it was it was learning opportunity yeah. about how how to word certain things. Um, my my main concern is actually that it just it just freaks it freaks doctors out about being on social media even more, and that's 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 my main worry is that because shame, I just think it? it's so important. Yeah, it just it makes people it makes people concerned. Um, I think that everybody should have. I think everybody, if they do, if they're working within good morals and ethics, I think everybody should have the opportunity um, to make money in whatever way their skill set suits them. Um, I think that there are lots of doctors who make money from other things, but they never get their they never get articles written in the Daily Mail about them. Social media is mm-hmm. is social media and doctors are a nice hot topic, um, but I think there is definitely. I think there's definitely a, 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 an integrity, a, an integral way of doing uh, brand collaborations with with uh, on social media, no matter your profession. And I think it just, I think it just depends how you do them and what you choose to do, and making sure that you turn down a lot. Clearly, uh, I need to turn down even more, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> uh, I guess. Um for kind of on that mm. do you think and i know you you have touched on it in, in in the show but do you do you worry that that could stop the next generation or the next wave of doctors to to really go to really come through and 
um, you know, follow your advice and, and get on social media? Do you do you worry that that might be the case? Slightly, because as much as I never, as much as I never started doing social media to make money, it's definitely something that gives me uh, it gives me a little bit of relaxation in regards to how much time I spend on it. If you know what I mean. Um, you know, if I'm going to spend that much time on something that I don't have to be doing, uh, if it, if it actually, you know, has some form of reward, I know that there is, you know, there are people that, that will say, oh, well, it, you know, it should just have a, should just have a moral reward and you should feel nice about it. I'm like, well, look, I spend far too much time <laughs> on my phone for a moral reward to, to completely cut it. And especially as personally, I would love to be doing this kind of as as a part-time job as well long term down the line and you can't if you know you can't have a part-time job if you if it doesn't pay you it's just not a thing um you know we've still got to pay bills i've still got to pay rent and pay for puppy food now and all sorts of things so um I, i think it i think it has or i think it has the potential to deter people from taking the time to set up social media accounts because again as much as it's not about money it's a nice thing to know that that is a possibility um, with anything, again, with anything that takes time out of your life. Um, so, yeah, I hope that I hope that doc, I mean, I, ju- I just hope the conversation changes slightly. Um, and I don't know how much I'm basing that purely on my experience in the Daily Mail. It's probably not sensible to base any experience on the Daily Mail, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think that's really positive advice that you're saying to younger doctors to get online. And actually, that feels like quite a... I hadn't really thought about that before, but it feels like a very futuristic plan to have those emergency services, people there to relate to rather than being far away strangers. Hmm. Hmm. I think Um, it does make a big difference. Yeah, we actually tried to do a campaign recently with emergency services staff and there are are a few doctors online, but there is no policeman, fireman, like anything like that that we can find. Um, And I imagine it's because of the same restrictions concerns they have like like you've just spoken about yeah policemen i could understand just with yeah. some of some of there there's probably going to be some extra difficulties there firemen i don't really understand i imagine there's no reason for them not to be on not to be specifically online but um yeah it gets complex and the, the difficulty is, is i think there's there needs to be a willingness um from ideally from from whoever is your regulator there needs to be a willingness for encouragement with good guidance so there needs to be people going yeah we want doctors online and ideally we we need hospitals saying you know yeah we want you guys online because we want we want patients to feel comfortable about us as a community community is social media is community at the moment and so if you've got if you've got no one on social media you know hospitals are setting up facebook accounts and things they're all completely crap um but there's a reason why they're setting them up isn't there i mean you know it's because it's it's what needs to happen um so if they've got doctors that know how social media works because they've grown up at a time when social media was just the norm it would be i feel like it's a waste not to use some of that and not to have people using social media in the right way you know there's been um a lot of stuff doing like the TikTok dances and stuff. There's been quite a lot of mixed reviews of media around them. Has that is that something that your colleagues have been doing, or like what do you think about the negativity around that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you can sit down in in a in the middle of a shift and have a cup of tea, then you can also stand up and do a do a 15 second TikTok dance. Um, yeah. If it's okay. what helps you unwind, if it what's helped, if if it's what helps you feel more normal about the day if it what if it if it gives you a bit of release in regards to your mental health as well because you know the job is particularly stressful and 
social media like that can sometimes be quite fun in that sense um then people need to people just need to shut up and let and let let doctors be humans um the difficulty is there are people that are ruining it for the rest of us um Mm -hmm. and there are there have been examples recently of uh healthcare professionals posting particularly inappropriate things on social media to to relieve tension and there needs to be some guidance for them as to this is not appropriate there are ways to do this but you're ruining it um and you know there are certain i mean i i think you have to have a bit of a morbid sense of humor to be a doctor in general because if you didn't the amount of death that you see would get to you quite quite quickly um and what you know somebody I, i remember meeting someone when i was uh when I was seven, I remember meeting a doctor when I was 17 and going to like careers fairs and things like that. And this doctor telling me just that going, you, you know, I'm going to, he told me this joke and I laughed and he was like, good, you have a morbid sense of humor. That's a, that's a good start for being a doctor. I was like, what would you mean? (laughs) And you know, I I think members of the public don't quite understand that. And there are, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's right. And you should not be posting morbid sense of humor things publicly on online as a doctor, because there are things that you say and conversations you have with your close friends that you don't you don't share to the rest of the world. It's the it, it's the whole point about being professional. Um, and I think pe- the, the the stress of the current situation I think is causing lapses in judgment at the moment um, with some of that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, well that that's that's probably my my general thought on it. Um, yeah, I don't have TikTok because I don't have the time. Um, but <laughs> but I have no problem with it. Uh, you know, I think I think some of them are quite fun. Um, but I'm I'm happy I'm happy spreading information and reaching people on Instagram. Although it, the younger audience is on TikTok. I mean, the younger generation is there. It's it's undoubtable. Uh, so it's good that there are doctors on there, uh, and I I know a few that are doing great things on there. And uh, yeah, it's 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 the same thing. There'll be a new platform at some point as well, and we need we need people of all professions to be on that too. Completely agree. Um, and I guess uh, a good kind of segue from that, and, and and a way to to wrap up really is, I know you've got a lot of things that you'd love to, you know, a lot of great opinions on on how people should react around food and what their, you know, the, the common misconceptions. Like if there's one thing that one message that you would want to get across to, to someone listening, like whether it be, what would be the one thing that you'd really love to change people's perception on? It's difficult. I think, I, I, I think it probably has to go back to the socioeconomics again. Um, yep. I would probably say the, the one thing, if I had to just pick one would just be just how important it is to recognize the, the privileges that we have in life. Um, and not not in a way that we're 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 identifying them so that we can make up for them or apologize for them or anything like that. It's it's identifying them so that because identifying them is the first step to actually working on the inequality that exists. And all this stuff around health um, is is so linked to to inequality. We we know that if we if we increase the wealth of a country, the health goes up, but to a point. And after that, the health just stops improving unless the inequality gets fixed. Um, and it's it's something people don't like to talk about because it's difficult. It's it's awkward. People don't want to admit that they're privileged because they can go to the supermarket once a week and buy fresh food and put it in their fridge because they don't feel like it is. Because when people start 
recognizing stuff like that they think that they it they, they think it means that they that they haven't had hardships in life that they haven't had struggles that yeah. they haven't had to work it hard discredits their rise yeah and it's and it's it, it's not that at all it's it's complete nonsense like it's it, recognizing the privileges that we have has no bearing on how difficult our life has been i mean my you know again i've i've had pretty shitty things happened to me in my life my parents got divorced i've had i've had struggles with my, with disordered eating in the past you know i've had i had an alcoholic father who all sorts of things when i was a kid but i'm still massively privileged in comparison to a lot of other people in this world that doesn't mean that that stuff didn't happen to me it doesn't mean that that stuff didn't suck it doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't impact me mentally in certain situations and you know it shapes the way that I look at the world and how I deal with things and the fact I still don't talk to my dad do you know what I mean like it's all that stuff is very real and none of it is discredited by the fact that I talk a lot about how privileged I am and I think if people can get over that that would be a good start Mm -hmm. no I agree um makes a lot of sense and I think uh I speak for Em as well but um I've certainly come away from this with a lot of thoughts and, and a lot of ways in which not just I personally can 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 change and take a lot of your advice, but um, how we as a society and there's a lot of things I haven't, I didn't think about before. But you're completely right, and you know countries that, as you say, get richer do trend upwards in terms of health. But then those countries that do get richer then suffer bigger inequalities mm. like the UK and the US. Mm. Whereas, you know, the countries that we think, and I, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but countries like a lot of the Scandinavian countries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are, there are, there's a lot more equality, or at least yeah. it seems like there is. And, sure. and for, They're one of the few countries like the to, have a, to have a basic, uh, a, you know, a universal wage. And actually they end up being some of the, some of the, some of the best countries um, in regards to addressing inequality. And they end up having some of the best health. Um, and it's no, exactly. it's not a coincidence. No, that makes complete sense. But um, no, no, I, I really appreciate um, you coming on, and I think um, you know we've we, we've had a very ver- ver- a great variety of guests over the last week, um, from from Love Island stars to <laughs> former pop stars, and I think this is a, a really a really nice change of tone. Um, hey, look, yeah, I've still got it, time. You know. I could still be on Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you're if you're new around here and you're listening for the first time, please make sure to drop us a like and a subscribe. Um, you know, thanks again to Joshua for joining. And if you, you know, Josh, where where can people find you? I know you do your own podcast as well. So uh, yeah, I haven't recorded one of those episodes in a while, but um, but we've got a whole season of uh, what we've called the the Cut Through Nutrition podcast, which uh, I personally think is a very interesting. Listen. Um, around some of the some of the complexities around nutrition and why things like food as medicine can be particularly problematic. Um, so yeah, there's there's stuff like that on on all all podcast platforms. And then otherwise, just come and find me on Instagram. Uh, if you type in Dr. Joshua Dr. Joshua, I'll come up. It's Dr. Joshua Ulrich, but that's too complicated to spell. So just just start with the beginning bit, <laughs> and I'm sure you'll find me. Great. I've got a pink background. You can't miss it. No, and you've got some great great stuff on there. I think it's really um, it, what you see is what you get. It's very real. You take people behind the curtain. So definitely, definitely check out Joshua's page. Um, mm, but thanks, for, but for now, we are we are good. Uh, Tom, are we good? I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that.